Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a podcast where I'm trying to teach Mika music history and she's trying to care about it. And you go, hello, every single time. Yeah, that's why I want to like record a separate intro so I don't have to do that because I don't like doing it. And you it don't like stupid. doing... Hello. No. We don't need to record a new intro because <laughs> you say the same thing every single time. Yeah, I just want I want like a clip that I can like put intro music behind and just throw that at the beginning like Novel Nashville does. We can hire Micah and Michael Farron and get, we could get we could get some real cool intro music. I mean, that's not what I want. I, I could just download random intro music. But why <laughs> would you download intro music if you can have one of the best songwriters do it for you? I don't think I can. I, don't, I think they're busy. Anyway, welcome back. It's been a while. Have we recorded since Christmas? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> when was our last episode? I don't even remember. MTV. MTV was our last one. That was post-Christmas. Ajax says it was post-Christmas, obviously. So, before we get started, follow us on Twitter. There's actually stuff posting there now. Yeah, because you want to talk about what you're doing? Yeah, it's the most anyone has ever tweeted on our Twitter, ever. But I randomly decided to listen through all of the top 100 songs in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs list. I'm just tweeting my my ratings of them. Not songs, albums. Albums, yeah, sorry. I'm listening to the 100 Greatest Albums. I'm up to like 91 now, I think, or 90. Holy cow. Which ones have I missed? Um, I listened to Missy Elliott today. Fun. Jimi Hendrix. Fun. And Bruce Springsteen. Fun. That was today. Neil Young is next, but none of his music is on Spotify. So I'm Really? To, yeah, he took it off when they... Got the Joe Rogan experience on. It was like a, <laughs> it was like a protest thing. That's so funny. Him and Joni Mitchell did that. So I'm gonna have to like find it on YouTube or something. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, yeah, I listened to Drake yesterday. I don't think that anyone would really care. Not about you listening to Drake. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone cares about <laughs> this album thing other than me, but I'm having fun doing I it. I care. I think it's great. So I'm gonna keep doing it, and you can go look at my ratings on our Twitter. Oh, I don't even know what some of them are. I don't know what any of them are. But keep in mind, it's like ratings of my personal enjoyment. It's not ratings of like, I'm not rating how good it is musically or its impact on music. I'm just rating, I listened to this album. Did I enjoy it? Here's the level at which I enjoyed listening to this. That's (laughs) it. So You're not trying to recreate like a Rolling Stones top tier list. No, not at all. You're not interested in that. No. Too much backlash. Because like I gave the the Bruce Springsteen album not I think I gave it like a four point five or something like I didn't mm-hmm. really enjoy it very much but I understand four point five out of ten yeah oh I thought you meant out of five no <laughs> I was like what but I understand it's probably a very good and important album but just I didn't I didn't like it that much so what what did uh, Red get five five out of ten wow it's just very mediocre right now I think the highest scoring album is Drake. What? It's got 8.5 out of 10. What? You were not excited about that. It wasn't, but it was fun. Okay. Next highest is Metallica. They got an 8. Wow. What did Drake have that Metallica (laughs) didn't have? Then I think the band got a 7.5 and Missy Elliott got a 7. 
That wasn't just a rhetorical question. <laughs> I don't know. I just enjoyed it more. That's so great. I love this. Okay. So that's what's going on Twitter. So twitter.com slash sound of history underscore if you want to kind of like keep up with that. I started the hashtag sound of greatest albums. So you can also just look that up. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who's ever used that hashtag. So it should only be that. That's funny. All right. Mika's the host now. What do you got to tell the people? I don't know. I started knitting again. You didn't do your jingle. Mika is the host now. I started knitting again. Cool. I have one sixteenth of a scarf. It's very specific. Just, I mean, it's an estimated one sixteenth. Okay. It's going to be a long scarf. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. We went to New York. You could talk about that. Or you could not. That's fine, too. Nah. Okay. I went to the dermatologist. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's what's going on in my life. We got a mirror. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, make it no longer the host now. Please. (laughs) So we are in the process of wrapping up the 70s. We've got two episodes left in this. Well, three. One's a two-parter. And I'm actually going to give you... It's a choice on what you want to hear about today. Really? Because the two left are like they don't fit in any kind of order that could go either way. Okay. So you can either learn about Michael Jackson. Ooh. Or we could do the Michael Jackson special. Or we could do part one of Fleetwood Mac. Well, we got to do the Fleetwood Mac together. So yeah. we, we need to do Michael Jackson. I mean, we could do part one and then do part two next and then do Michael Jackson. Or we could do Michael Jackson and then Fleetwood Mac part one and part two. No, I want to hear about Michael Jackson. Okay. We're doing the Michael Jackson special today. Yeah, I want to know about Michael Jackson. All right. Well, that fits because he was big on MTV, which was our last episode that we just talked about. See, so. it's it's super intentional, this thing that I'm doing. Everything about this, my involvement in this is super intentional. I think I originally did plan to do Michael before Fleetwood, so it works out. Just thought you might be excited to talk about Fleetwood. I am. But it's I had a, already decided story. I had already decided on Michael Jackson before before I learned that we would do both parts of Fleetwood. <laughs> like not in one sitting. Well, I know. Okay. I didn't expect you to sit here through twelve pages of that script. Thank you. All right. Well, anyway. We've been talking a lot about different genres of rock music for the past little bit which we could have talked more about rock music today. But I think it's nice to switch it up for a little bit. Uh, I think the 70s was pretty dominated by rock genres like punk and new wave and that kind of stuff. There was also a very healthy R&B scene happening during this time. And that scene influenced a lot of what comes after, especially with the development of like hip-hop in the 80s. Instead of rehashing a lot of what we've already talked about, R&B was dominated by funk and soul in this period, which we've done episodes on both of those and talked a lot about the major artists in both of those. So I thought we could focus on one artist who kind of transcended all of R&B for many, many years. We can look at the scene through his story. What do you know about Michael Jackson? Just in I general. don't know. Probably like a decent amount. Really? Okay. Uh, not as much as like... Like, I can't tell you about it, but you'll be like, this happened. And I'll be like, yeah, 
just okay. because like it's in there, you know, it's just in the brain somewhere. Yeah. You've just learned through cultural osmosis. Exactly. Okay. Well, he, he has a bit of a, a bit of a checkered story, which is similar to most of the artists that we've talked about. But there's no denying whatever his faults that he was the king of pop. Probably still is. I don't know what you mean by checkered. I've never heard someone describe a story as checkered. Never heard someone say like, oh, he has a checkered past. Absolutely not. It's like black and white. There's good and bad. It's it's a phrase. I don't (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. For better or worse, he is an icon of the musical world and his work really deserves and needs to be talked about. You ready? Ready to get into a story? I'm ready. Michael Joseph Jackson. Oh, <laughs> it's just his name. It's a good name. Was born in Gary, Indiana. In no ni- way. <laughs> in 1958. He was the eighth of 10 children in a working class family. Yeah, they all were working as children. Yeah. They lived in a two-bedroom house, and his mother was a devout Jehovah's Witness. Holy cow. His father was a guitarist, but set his musical dreams aside to provide for his family as a crane operator. But he would later push his children into the music industry that he once dreamed of making it big in. And that becomes kind of a big, big topic later. His mother also played the clarinet and, at one point, dreamed of being a country and western singer. So it's pretty easy to see that their household would just kind of like be full of a lot of different diverse music all the time, Mm -hmm. which is the best way to grow up. Unfortunately, Michael's father, Joe, wasn't exactly the most gentle of parents. The three oldest Jackson boys had a band, which Joe had created, called the Jackson Brothers. Like the Jonas Brothers. They (laughs) They probably stole it from the Jonas Brothers. They probably did. In 1965... Michael, do you know what the Jonas Brothers' original band name was? I used to. Sons of Jonas, Mm -hmm. which I think is better. I should have kept it. But then we couldn't say Joe Bros. That's true. Joe Bros is so good. (laughs) Just get like serotonin every time. Joe Bros. In 1965, Michael and his other brother joined the band as backup singers playing random percussion instruments. Michael was only five years old when he joined. Mm-hmm. Joe was known to be abusive as they, as he kind of like put this group together. He would sit with a belt waiting to punish his sons if they made any mistakes. He said that Michael had a fat nose and would be verbally and physically abusive to all of them. Oh my God. Joe later admitted to whipping his kids, but Michael's mother pointed out that that was a common disciplinary tactic at the time. Okay, so honey. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Stand by the abusive man instead of your children. Sure. And Michael's older brothers have all denied that Joe is abusive. They said that the whipping kept them disciplined. But it's common knowledge that Michael had the brunt of the abuse. And as a result of all of this, Michael's upbringing was pretty lonely and isolated. Also, probably as a result of the tremendous success they're about to have, he just got more isolated as a kid. I don't understand. Uh, yeah. Okay. The group, now called the Jackson Five, started to perform locally and build a following. Michael emerged as the leader of the group because his stage presence and performing were clearly better than the others. 
His older brother, Jackie, said it was sort of frightening. He was so young. I don't know where he got it. He just knew, end quote. They recorded one demo, but that didn't really go anywhere, and the group, probably because they were in the Chicago area, had the chance to open for and work with some legendary performers, like Gladys Knight and the Pips, James Brown, and Diana Ross. Which is crazy that, like, they have one failed demo, and Mm -hmm. they're, like, opening for Diana Ross. Like, that's pretty wild. Yeah. That's Michael. Most of these artists were working they were working with were signed to the Motown label. We have a whole episode on Motown if you need a refresher on that. I do. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it was like the Temptations were Motown, Stevie Wonder is Motown. Like it's just I that remember big, that like, it exists. Okay, well that's a start, I guess. <laughs> In nineteen sixty nine, with the help of Diana Ross, the group finally caught the attention of Barry Gordy who was the creator and head of Motown. I do remember that name. And he signed Context clues. Also the uncle and grandfather of LMFAO. That's right. So he signed them to a Motown record deal, which was a big deal at the time. After that, they relocated to Los Angeles where they lived with Barry and Diana Ross while they kind of like got settled and figured out what they were going to do. That is an insane sentence. I think two different houses. Diana Ross didn't live with Barry. They just kind of like would live with one for a little bit. And That's <laughs> still insane. Yeah. Barry decided to make an event out of the signing of the Jackson 5. And he decided that Diana Ross should introduce them at a special music industry event in August of 1969. Do you want to see their first performance? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Stunning. The Hollywood Palace. It's wonderful to return as your hostess again, especially tonight when I have the pleasure of introducing a great young star who has been in the business all of his life. He's worked with his family, and when he sings and dances, he lights up the stage. Here he is. I don't know who this guy is. Thank you for that marvelous introduction, Diana. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to... Why, why are you staring at me? Well, because I wasn't introducing you. And, and I, you know, I don't want to lie to you until I can think of a, a real good one. Well, what's, what's the matter? Well, you see, I, I was introducing uh, someone else. Now, let me tell you something. Now, you said young, been in show business all his life. And lights at the stage. Mm-hmm. Now, you want to tell me who's young, who's been in show business all his life, and lights at the stage except me and Ed Sullivan? Well, there's one other. Who? Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five. That was lovely. God, they're so small. that child oh, well, too late for that god that's so weird seeing his face on that small child yeah. 
Right, that's their first performance. Not their first performance, but their first like outing as a Motown group. Precious. After that, things moved pretty quickly for the group. They released their first album called Diana Ross Presents the Jackson Five. <laughs> just take that star power. <laughs> it's, it's Motown marketing. It's just like if Diana Ross's name is on it, it's going to sell. So, I mean, <laughs> throw her on there. Fair. Yeah, and it did. Uh, it released in December of 1969, and its single, I Want You Back, hit number one shortly after that. That single was followed up by three more consecutive number ones with ABC, I'll Be There, and The Love You Save, which is just wild. Yeah. During this time, Michael was merging from a child star into a teen idol, but they still had very little control over their group. The Jackson 5 basically went from their father, Joe, controlling everything they did to Barry Gordy, who was infamously strict with all of his artists on Motown. They maintained a busy touring and recording schedule, and between 1969 and 1975, they released, well, let's keep that in mind, that's six years. Six years. But like 69, they started in December, so it's basically five years. Okay. They released 10 studio albums full of hits, basically defining the pop R&B sound of the early 70s. This is all Jackson 5 released 10 albums? Yes. I did not know there were that many. Michael also released four solo albums during this time. Oh, my God. That sold just as well as the Jackson 5 stuff did. Holy cow. Child labor laws. Where are you? (laughs) It's insane. Like, I would be very surprised if they went to school. Here they are performing I Want You Back on the Ed Sullivan Show, which at the time was like the height of television. Oh, I know the Ed Sullivan Show. Okay. Dancing! What are the hats? <laughs> Is he wearing like a police cap? Style. So look at them dance! I want you back on the Ed Sullivan show. Keep in mind during this episode, Rolling Stone ranked him the 86th best singer of all time. Literally <laughs> insane. <laughs> this is wild. Insane. During this period, the Jackson 5 were basically untouchable. They were one of, if not the biggest acts in the country. They appeared on several TV shows and even had their own cartoon show created for them. Oh, I didn't know that. Motown focused on them as their main product and licensed the group for all kinds of merch. Product. I just. Yeah. They were like Jackson 5 toys and lunch boxes and just basically any kind of merch that you could think of. God. They were Jackson 5. 
But as their popularity started to decline by 1973, tensions were mounting in the group. The brothers always had a tenuous relationship at best with their father, Joe, but now they also had frustrations with Barry Gordy. Joe and Barry didn't play well together, as you could probably expect, oh my God. <laughs> with two controlling men. The brothers wanted more control over their creative direction, and Joe didn't like how Barry was managing the group. So, by 1975, they agreed to part ways with Motown. They also learned that they were only earning 2.8% of their royalties from Motown, God. and that kind of annoyed them. Insane how much money they made off of them. Mm-hmm. Joe immediately started to shop them around at other labels, and they, they landed at Epic, which offered a 20% royalty. But one of the brothers, Jermaine, left the group to stay with Motown, which was probably because he had married Barry Gordy's daughter. Oh, <laughs> okay. So he couldn't really leave the label. Holy cow. Conflict of interest. <laughs> So Jermaine was replaced by Randy Jackson, the youngest Jackson brother. Motown still owned the Jackson 5 name, so they rebranded themselves as the Jacksons. What? Can I ask a stupid question? Are you going to ask if it's the American Idol Randy Jackson? I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay. From 1976 to 1984, they released six more albums with Epic which is like a little bit more relaxed recording schedule, but still pretty wild. So many. That's still over one a year, I think. If I can do that math right. No, that's six albums in eight years. So that's reasonable for the time. Yeah. Michael has had emerged as the group's primary songwriter during this period. They struggled to get off the ground with their first two albums, but Epic gave them full creative control of their third album called Destiny. That album turned out to be a massive success, and one of the songs written by Michael and Randy called Shake Your Body was their best-selling single for Epic, and it helped the album sell a million copies. Here is Shake Your Body. Honestly, just like in awe. <laughs> yeah, he has that effect. On All right, that's Shake Your Body. Like, that's not even my favorite song, but it's no. just wild watching him perform. Yeah. All of them, honestly. Like, it's a good act. Yeah. I think the people of that time agreed with you because they were massively popular. Gosh. In 1977, Michael moved to New York to star in The Wiz, which was a massive musical film project. 
and a complete disaster. <laughs> it completely flopped at the box office and is seen as the end of the explosion of African-American-centric movies. For, for several years, all black films were all the rage, but this one, the most expensive musical film made at that time, completely failed, so producers steered away from the all-black films for a while after that, which is a bummer. Mm. Michael did have the only successful song on the soundtrack, his duet with the film star, Diana Ross, called Ease On Down the Road. It is clear to see how doing The Wiz impacted his focus on music video production in the 80s. Michael also said that working on The Wiz was, quote, my greatest experience so far. I'll never forget that, end quote. So it sounds like he had a good time with it, even if it did not land with the audiences. Which is surprising that it, I mean, it had Michael Jackson, it had Diana Ross. Yeah. Like, I'm surprising that it didn't at least make a lot of money, even if it was, like, bad from a critic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just always surprised that that failed. By moving to New York, Michael started going to some of the local clubs and heard the startings of the hip-hop scene, which really influenced his later music. So we've talked a lot about his work with his family, but Michael was still releasing solo albums at this time. Like, throughout the whole career with the Jackson 5, he's also releasing solo albums. And it was in 1979 when he started to establish himself as a serious solo artist. His album called Off the Wall helped him move on from that kind of like bubblegum pop of his youth, and it was massively successful. So much so that people thought it meant that he would leave the Jacksons to focus more on his solo work. It was the best-selling album of the year and would eventually sell 20 million albums. Wow. It capitalized on the disco fad of the time. Like in this song called Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. The force has got a lot of power, and it makes me feel like it. It makes me feel like comment says boy they discovered green screens and went crazy <laughs> alright that's don't stop to get enough it's also Michael Jackson dancing in a variety of settings including space and a honeycomb what was that at the <laughs> beginning <laughs> I couldn't really see the screen but 
looked like a honeycomb. <laughs> it did look like a honeycomb. Despite the public's fears, Michael returned to the Jacksons to release a new album, and the success of his solo work really helped that Jacksons album sell a million copies. But then in 1983, Michael released Thriller. And this album cemented him as a superstar solo performer. It's one of the best-selling albums of all time, and his music videos helped break the color barrier set by radio stations and MTV. Mm. Thriller won a record-setting eight Grammys. It featured seven top ten singles, three that hit number one. After this album, Michael was the most popular entertainer in America. I don't actually know what all songs are on Thriller. Okay. Like, I've never paid attention. Well, I I think we only play one of them. So let's Is it Thriller? No. Oh. <laughs> um, so let's look up the Thriller track list real quick. The Girl is Mine. PYT. Pretty Young Thing. I do know. Baby Be Mine. Wanna Be Starting Something. Beat It. The Lady in My Life. Billie Jean. Human Nature. And Thriller. Dang. Good album. I wonder where it ranks in your top 100 albums. Oh, I'm sure I'll be getting to it eventually. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if they think he's only the 86th best singer. Yeah. Maybe. He might not have made it. I mean, Taylor is 98th best album. Like, I don't know if he made the cut. I think she's going to have another one on the list. If I, I'd be very surprised if that's her only showing. All right. Uh... In March of 1983, Michael reunited with his brothers for a TV special honoring 25 years of Motown. It was at this performance that Michael debuted his moonwalk dance move and earned an Emmy nomination. For the moonwalk dance move? For that on like, the television TV show? performance, not necessarily the moonwalk. Holy cow. Yeah. I didn't realize that you can get an Emmy. For, okay, Emmy daytime television. Okay. Yeah, it's for cause like, TV. Lin-Manuel Miranda has an Emmy for writing the opening of a Tony's. Thing. Really? Yeah, the one that Neil Patrick Harris did. Yeah, that was really great. Yeah, he won an Emmy for that because he wrote that. I guess I never knew what the Emmys were. <laughs> <laughs> it's just television stuff. Um, so Michael initially didn't want to do this whole like reuniting to honor Motown thing. Yeah, he probably didn't like Motown that much. Yeah, but Barry personally asked him to do it, and Michael agreed only if he could also do a solo performance, along with performing with his brothers. Okay. And that performance is now pretty iconic because of the moonwalk situation, so I'm kind of glad that he decided to do it. And here is that performance of Billie Jean. Yay! Which, I think the moonwalk comes pretty later, so we might end up watching a decent amount of this performance if you wanted to see the moonwalk. I do want to watch it. I'll probably have to cut it out a little bit in the edit so you don't get hit with copyright. Golly. Please. 
Billy Jean. The first moonwalk. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Pretty good little performer. If I would have been so I in love with so. him if I like <laughs> watched like his stuff when I was growing up. Like if if like I would have been Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Instead you got Nick Jonas. Not as good a performer. <laughs> By 1984, Michael Jackson was renowned as the king of pop. Also, I want to point out, I thought I put it in here, mm-hmm. but I guess I didn't. He didn't invent the moonwalk. He learned it from a dancer friend. So I, I actually just think, did know that, yeah. Okay, I think a lot of people assume that he invented it, but I think it's important to like, even though I don't remember his name, because I didn't write it down. Look it up. I He thinks it's important to credit that person as the actual inventor of this like iconic dance move. And that person's name is... Apparently, it was originally called the Backslide, but Michael Jackson renamed it to the Moonwalk. The earliest reported is by Cab Calloway in 1932. That's not who he learned it from, though, no. right? Like so it was just like dick. it's just like a similar, small thing to small thing, and then like one of his friends was like, "Hey, this yeah. is cool." It's like a similar kind of like a just a longstanding uh, dance move, I guess. James Brown used it. Dick Van Dyke. What? Didn't know that Dick Van Dyke moonwalked. <laughs> Bobby Brown of New Edition uh, was one of three kids that Jackson said taught him the dance step. Wow. Cool. It was rumored that it was Jeffrey Daniel. Uh, but uh, all Michael said was it was three kids and one of them was Bobby Brown from New Edition. He said that in his autobiography. Okay. Well, that was a little bit of a history on the moonwalk that I didn't tend to get into, but there it is. If you go on important, you need to do important. <laughs> well, they're not going to hear anything you just said because you were... After the success of the Motown special, the brothers agreed to record another album for Epic that would become their biggest selling album to date. But the biggest song off of that album, called State of Shock, was a duet between Michael and Mick Jagger. It didn't feature any other Jackson brother. Michael originally wrote that song as a duet with Freddie Mercury. But that relationship soured when Michael got annoyed with Freddie's frequent drug use in the studio, and Freddie got annoyed when Michael insisted on bringing a llama into the studio. I can't believe that we didn't get, (laughs) one, that collaboration to fruition, and two, a sitcom based on that. (laughs) Excuse me? I don't know. I tried to look more into that, but neither of them really... That's it? Neither of them really talked about it. It was just kind of like an insider secret that, like, Michael just wanted a llama, and Freddie's like, why? Like, what the heck? I don't want a llama while I'm recording these songs. But they were supposed to do, like, a few different songs together, but they never really God, got God, that would have been too powerful. Yeah, it would have been insane. In 1984, the brothers set out on a tour that was one of the most anticipated tours of all time. By that point, they didn't really do too much together. It was also the last tour that they'd ever do as a group. At the end of that tour, Michael officially announced that he was leaving to continue his solo career. Michael's next two albums were not as successful as Thriller, which, like, what could be? Right. (laughs) 
it's not a good standard to set. But we're still pretty successful by anyone else's standards, and it kept him in the public eye through the end of the 80s. He also worked on We Are the World, which was a charity song for Africa. In 1985, he also bought ATV Music Publishing and their 4,000 songs, including most of the Beatles catalog. So he was the owner of the Beatles music. It's a weird move. Yeah, there was more to it. Like, he was friends with Paul McCartney, and he, like, tried to go in joint with Paul McCartney or something, but then Paul was like, no, you just do it. And then he backed out and then agreed to, I don't know, it's like it's a whole backstory thing. It's weird. But he owned the Beatles catalog. And here is We Are the World, that song that he helped put together. I don't I think he was like the main driving force behind it, but I could be wrong about that. Do you know about We Are the World? No. It's just got like a million different celebrities, like the biggest names of the time, all came together to do this little song. I don't understand the idea of having a song for charity for a whole continent. <laughs> I think it was for like, there comes a time I don't know, like food, live aid. I don't know what it was. When the world must come together as one. The song was written by Michael and Lionel Richie. It's the eighth best-selling single of all time. Who's that guy? I want to know about him. Uh, I was watching. See Billy back there? Old Billy Joel in there? Pretending day by day that someone somewhere will soon This is a little bit too much for me. <laughs> However, I do want to see the whole thing. You do? Yeah. You want to hear background about it? Yes. Uh, there was a group called Band-Aid, which is a charity supergroup featuring mainly British and Irish musicians. Uh, I'm trying to see who was in it. I don't know if anyone's big in it. But they released the song, Do They Know It's Christmas. I, I don't like them. <laughs> it was a charity song. Of course it was. Um, to benefit Ethiopian citizens or something. So inspired At least they by that. went in on one country. <laughs> <laughs> so inspired by that, Harry Belafonte, who was an American singer-songwriter, is an American singer. Uh, he's the most successful Jamaican-American pop star of all time, apparently. Hmm. Uh, he kind of had this idea to do a similar thing, an American benefit single for African famine relief. So him and this other fundraiser just kind of started to bring it to other musicians, kind of figure out what they could do with this idea. So then Michael mm-hmm. and Lionel wrote the song and then they recorded it. They received a quadruple platinum certification. I want to see like, I want to put like names to the faces and the voices because I don't, I can't do that right now. <laughs> so I just like want you to tell me who everyone is like as they say. They sought to write a song that would be easy to sing and memorable, yet still an anthem. So basically a worship song. Is 
a better song. Apparently. Are you done with the other world no. yet? No. I have a list of the singers on it. You have to tell me who they are, though. Well, I, we're done with it now. <laughs> They're still on there. I don't know them by picture. I know some of them by voice, but not really. Alright, that's the rare of the world. I want in order of appearance. I have that. No way, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, it went away. I'm gonna rewatch this whole thing. <laughs> yes, I have the soloist in order of appearance, and then I have the chorus alphabetically. Did we just watch a seven-minute You did. I was reading about it on Wikipedia. And now we're re-watching it, apparently. That's Lionel I know, Richie. I know Lionel Richie. Do you know who that is? There comes a time. I, d- I can't. <laughs> I can't. Do you want to There you go. <laughs> I couldn't make it happen. That would have been very sad. Who's that? Paul Simon. Love Who's Simon and Garfunkel. Santa Claus. Kenny Rogers. Okay. Of Dolly Parton fame. We have his Christmas album with Dolly Parton. James Ingram? I don't know who that is. I love James Ingram. James Ingram to me is the star of this. That is a beautiful voice. Damn it! Do you know who that is? You know who that is? I do know that one. I don't. I can't place it. Tina Turner. Tina Turner. And Billy Joel. Do you know who that is? Uh, I don't know. I think I need some help with him. It's Michael Jackson. No way. God, what a fashion icon. Do you know her? seen her already in this episode. Really? It's Diana Ross. It does look like her. I mispronounced her name. Dion Warwick? Yeah. Is Dion how you say it? I think so. Okay. You know him? I do, but I can't. Willie Nelson. Okay. I don't know this next guy. That's Al Giroux. That's the boss. The boss? That's Bruce's nickname. That's Daniel Radcliffe. No, that's Kenny Loggins. That's Steve Perry. That's Steve Perry? Yep. That's Daryl Hall from Hall and Oates. That's Michael again. Cindy Lauper. Kim Carnes. I don't. I don't know who that is. Oh, 
That's Bob Dylan. And then Ray Charles. And that's it. Those are the all, all the soloists. And the chorus? Yes, because he looks... He looks like he's a nerd on a TV show. <laughs> like, he looks like he would guest star on The Office <laughs> as someone that was, like, trying to fix their computers. Well, I don't... I don't know who's who in the chorus. Why don't you know who that is? But the people in the chorus are Dan Aykroyd. Who, he's, he looks like a Dan. Who was an SNL... He was one of the Blues Brothers. He I looks think. like he'd be on SNL. Harry Belafonte, Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac, several members of Huey Lewis in the News, Shelia E., who I don't know, Bob Geldof, who was the Band-Aid guy who did started that project, several Jacksons, Waylon Jennings, Bette Midler, John Oates, Jeffrey Osborne, the Pointer Sisters, and Smokey Robinson. That's pretty of, awesome. A lot of big names in there. Finally ready to be done with We Are The World. I'm ready to be done with We Are The World. I didn't think I would enjoy it that much. But like I'm looking at so many like huge yeah, names and I'm people. like, I don't know which ones you are. <laughs> so by the end of the 80s and the early 90s, things started to deteriorate in Michael's life. It was clear that his skin was growing steadily paler, leading many people to think he was bleaching his skin. His dermatologist said that he had vitiligo. Vitiligo? I don't know how to say that. I actually don't know how to say it either. And when I have a patient with it at work, I just like stumble through it and move on as quick (laughs) as I can. I don't know how to say it either. Okay. At least I'm not alone. (laughs) I have met many a people, many a small child, mostly just like four of them. (laughs) and, And I don't know how to say it. Okay, well... Vitiligo, I think, is what I normally go with, but okay. I think I'm wrong. Well, he had the vits and <laughs> and lupus, apparently, according to his dermatologist, who I don't know if they can diagnose lupus, but apparently he did. Uh, so he started using heavy makeup and skin-bleaching creams to cover up the uneven splotches. Mm. He denied ever purposefully bleaching his skin, saying, quote, when people make up stories that I don't want to be who I am, it hurts me. Mm. Like it's no one's business, so who cares? I feel really sad that he didn't feel like he could just have his two toned yeah. skin. I think that would have been really, really cool. Yeah. And I wish that he could have felt like he could embrace that. Yeah, I guess when you're just under the public eye for so many years, you just don't you think you can't have any imperfections or whatever that means yeah by this point tabloids were out of control when it came to michael they speculated on everything he did and scrutinized every move he made meanwhile michael continued to release chart topping albums and toured extensively now we get to the not fun stuff in 1993 michael was accused of sexual abuse by a 13 year old boy and his father Michael claimed that he was the victim of a jealous father trying to extort money. When police raided his home, they found two art books that featured young boys running and swimming and playing naked. Michael said that someone gave him the books and he had no idea what was in them, which is believable to me. (laughs) Later that year, Michael settled out of court with his accusers and officials never brought charges due to lack of evidence. 
but his reputation took a massive hit. And as a result, Michael canceled his upcoming tour dates due to stress, health complications, and his growing addiction to painkillers. In the 80s, Jackson, I don't know why I said Jackson, Michael was part of a Pepsi commercial that went wrong. His hair caught fire and severely damaged his scalp. What? I did not know this. Yeah, this was, he had, ever since then, he has been taking painkillers because he had to have reconstructive scalp surgeries. And that's like what got him hooked on it. It was like very big accident, like very painful thing. Holy cow. But yeah, so he, that's what got him hooked on the painkillers. And then he just never really got out of it. Mm. In 1994, Michael surprised the world when he announced that he'd secretly married Lisa Marie Presley, Elvis's daughter. Tabloids speculated that it was a publicity stunt to kind of distract from the sexual abuse allegations and to jumpstart Lisa's music career. They divorced a little over a year later. The civil judge that married them said, quote, they lasted longer than I thought they would. I gave them a year. They lasted a year and a half, end quote. Seems like a rude thing for a judge to say, but you know, whatever. I mean, any uh, you could that's gonna be you're gonna be famous for a second, you know? That's true. Except now I don't even know his name. He's just a civil judge. Oh yeah. Like it's sucky, but I mm-hmm. guarantee you that's where that came from. Probably. Was his five seconds of fame. Five minutes? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. In 1995, Michael released a new album, part greatest hits and part new songs. It debuted at number one and is the best-selling multi-disc album in history. Cool. His song, You Are Not Alone, holds the record for being the only song to debut at number one in the charts. Wow. Here is You Are Not Alone. It's kind of cheesy. I'm not a big fan of this one. Well, after We Are The World, (laughs) it's it's going to be better. It's got a very similar vibe to We Are The World. You are not alone. During his tour of Australia in 1997, Michael married Debbie Rowe, who was a dermatology assistant who was six months pregnant with his first child. Michael Joseph Jackson Jr., who's known as Prince, was born in 1997, and his sister Paris was born in 1998. 
Michael and Debbie divorced in 2000, and Debbie surrendered full custody to Michael, which is a bold decision. Yeah. I don't love... I don't love that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think a lot of people did after the next few years. I don't understand. I don't understand. Never mind. I'm just gonna, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. In 2001, he hosted a concert at Madison Square Garden to commemorate his 30 years as a solo artist. It was the first time that he performed with his brothers since he left the group in 1984. Wow. In 2001, he released Invincible, his first album in six years, and his last album of new material released in his lifetime. In 2002, an anonymous surrogate mother gave birth to his third child, named Prince Michael Jackson II, who is known as Blanket. What's happening with the names? I don't know, because like, he has a kid who's already known as Prince, and then he names this kid Prince, but he's known as Blanket. Like, I don't... Do you know what this is giving? This is giving, not to reference the office again, but this (laughs) is giving, what's Andrew's brother's name? Oh. uh, How he was named. The junior. Yeah. (laughs) And then they took it away. (laughs) And named him Andrew. It could have been worse. They could have (laughs) named him Blanket. I'm so sorry, Blanket. He's not named Blanket. He's just known as Blanket. And like, I don't a, like there's it. There's no Prince Michael Jackson the first, so I don't know where the second came from. Because he was the second. His brother was the first prince. No, he's not named Prince. He just goes by Prince. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, good lord! In 2002, a film crew a film crew released a documentary called "Living with Michael." They followed him around and filmed him for a few months. The documentary shows him holding hands with and discussing sleeping arrangements with a 12-year-old boy. He said that he saw nothing wrong with having sleepovers with minors, but then insisted that there was nothing sexual about it, and his words had been misunderstood. It's really a bold move to have that be in your documentary. He legitimately just didn't think there was any issue with it, or else he wouldn't have done it while being filmed. But, like... Even with nothing sexual going on, that's a weird thing. Still not great. Yep. (laughs) That's not a good thing to do. In December of 2003. Where was the child's parents? I mean, there's that whole HBO, I think, documentary about it that came out a few years ago. I don't know anything about this. Like, like, truly, I I do not know. I think it's called, like, Surviving Michael Jackson, where some of those, like, kids kind of tell their stories about what happened. Yeah, it didn't didn't do well for his image when that came out. In December of 2003, Michael was arrested for seven counts of child molestation and intoxicating a minor. He pleaded not guilty and was eventually acquitted of all charges. But the trial drained him and affected his health pretty majorly. After it, he basically became a recluse. He suffered a financial collapse that led to him selling many of his eclectic assets including his mansion called Neverland Ranch. It's a good name for a mansion. Yeah, well, considering Neverland is where Peter Pan has his children to, it's maybe a little bit too on the nose. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) 
It's also worth noting that the FBI released documents on Michael in 2009 that showed that they found no evidence of criminal conduct on Michael's behalf. So, you know, whatever that, take that for what it's worth, I guess. In March of 2009, Michael announced a series of concerts that he hoped would spark a comeback. They would be his first major shows since 1997. The first shows in London sold out immediately. But three weeks before the first show, Michael passed away. Mm. He died from a cardiac arrest brought about by a drug overdose. His personal physician had given him an assortment of pills to help him sleep, and his death was called by a propofol overdose. Mm. As people tracked the propofol in pill form? I guess it was back then. As people tracked the news of his death and watched for updates when he was in the hospital, which like I was a part of, I remember watching this when it was happening. Wow. Web traffic rose to unprecedented levels and strained web services. Traffic rose between 11 and 20% on that day. Officials eventually charged Michael's doctor, script says daughter, but that's not true, doctor, with involuntary manslaughter. Were you going to say something? That's just really like... I have questions. I have follow-up questions, you know? Like, did he just prescribe too high a dose? And, yeah, like, was, that's what he, he took? His... Or, like, did, you know, like, did, did he take something outside of what the prescription was? Like, no, it, the, the doctor was guilty. He, he was, like, Michael's, like, personal doctor. He wasn't just a doctor Michael went to once and got pills from. He was a doctor who had been with him for years and just pumping him full of drugs that were not healthy. Yeah. Because, like, Michael said he wanted them. Yeah. And you're not going to say no to Michael Jackson. So, like, he's just... There's several doctors throughout music history that are like that. Like, I think Elvis had one, too, where it's just, like, they basically just killed this person because they couldn't say no and couldn't say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. This is unhealthy. But, yeah, I think most people, when it was coming out, were like, yeah, that doctor's not good. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. a bad thing he did. Mm-hmm. So Michael Jackson had one of the strangest lives imaginable and dealt with more than anyone should have to deal with. Man. But he also made some very poor decisions. And at the end of the day, he changed music and he left a very deep impact on music history. That's Michael Jackson. Can I ask a dumb question? What? When people say, did he do it? It's, did he like molest all the children? Yes. (laughs) That's what that's about. Okay, that's what Just I thought. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's I don't want to dig too deep into it because it's yeah. just it's not my story. It feels weird to like bring it up now that he can't really be punished for it. But maybe it would be some vindication if he's like found guilty. I don't know. But at the same time, it's like when, even if he didn't, he was doing weird things, having little boys over to his house without his their parents around or at all. Like you shouldn't do that. That's weird. So yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting how like this can be kind of like, of course he's not going to have appropriate, well not not to this level, but like I'm not surprised at the inappropriate relationships and bonding with mm. young boys. Yeah, based I mean, on what he went through, it seems like he was he always kind of just saw himself as a child. Like it seems like he never really matured out of that 
He didn't get to be a child. Yeah, he was just kind of stuck in it. That's what it's always looked like to me, just kind of from some of the stuff he was doing, like bringing a llama into a recording studio. That's a thing a child would do. Yeah, that does sound like a Disney Channel plot point. That's like not an adult thing. That's like a a child would want that. Then he had a whole bunch of other, like he bought a monkey. Like he had so many different little eccentric purchases that he owned that were just like, this is weird, man. What are you doing? Hmm. All right, well, that's Michael. Yikes. Our next and two episodes, wow. Our next two episodes are going to be an equally crazy story about Fleetwood Mac, one of the best, wildest bands in history. I would much rather hear about interpersonal drama than yeah. child abuse yeah. <laughs> on multiple levels. Well, someone in Fleetwood Mac joins a cult, so there's that. Not surprised <laughs> at all. <laughs> All right. Well, anything you want to say about Michael? I hope that we're not going to find out that what like Justin Bieber went through is on the same level. Yeah, I've eh, probably not. But I don't think it's on the same level, but it's just that's one of the things that like strikes me as I like listen to Jackson Five and then listen to early Justin mm-hmm. Bieber. It's always one of the so like people are always like weird Justin was such like a little punk doing all these things and i always thought like if you gave me access to the money and the attention and the like power he had when i was his age i would have been so much worse like i can't like he did pretty well if that's all he did okay uh check us out on twitter so you can see my rankings of albums that i'm sure you don't care about (laughs) <laughs> I care eventually I'll get to Michael I hope one of his God. albums should be on there <laughs> and I'll get to Fleetwood Mac I'm sure I'm sure Rumors is on there oh, rumors. if it's not I'm gonna be so mad <laughs> flip some tables uh, there's probably gonna be five Beatles albums in the top ten so you'll get to suffer with me through that <laughs> and yeah, I, I released Sound of Conspiracies, so go listen to that. Oh, really? There's another one? Yeah, we did. We covered three different conspiracies in one episode. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even know that you posted yeah, that. Because they're short little fun ones. We did... Oh, my God. Is Jay-Z a time-traveling vampire? Love. We did Who Sang Peanut Duck. A what? And we did Is Stevie Wonder Actually Blind? Those were the three, yeah. conspiracies. <laughs> Those were the three conspiracies we tackled. You'll have to listen to it to see our thoughts on those. I have many <laughs> questions, mostly around question number two. Peanut duck? A lot of people have peanut duck questions. Is this just something that I should know about? You'll just have to listen to the episode. Figure out all about peanut duck. Okay. <laughs> I will listen with everyone else, I guess. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.